All right. What's this wind up? Yeah, what is that? Feel it out. So when they look up every escape, every game in this dot wine app, it's, it's the art that we've been building. <laughs> oh, it's personal. <laughs> <laughs> What's the budget? You need a budget. You need a budget. Welcome to Every Game in the City, a podcast about 10 game makers, curators, and researchers who met up in Malaysia for a week to try and play every escape room in Kuala Lumpur. I'm Stephanie Bullock. I'm Goldie Bartlett. I'm Jay Biddulph. I'm Laura E. Hall. I'm Patrick Lemieux. I'm Amani Nassim. I'm Chad Toprak. And I'm Douglas Wilson. It's the beginning of the end, and we're back to our regularly scheduled program after our surprise escape pod experience last episode. Today it's take two, and although we're missing two members, Shanglun and Alex, we finally get a chance to debrief with the team and reflect a little bit on everything that's happened over the course of seven days and 50 escape rooms, including new experiences we just had at the original breakout in Avenue K, as well as our return to Lost in KL. You could say we're starting to feel the escape room effect. All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. And what we're doing right now is having played 50 escape rooms in the space of seven days together. I think um, we're all just going to have a kind of collective debriefing session. And maybe to start it off, the the first thing I want to ask is, um, before we get too into it, just at the end of it all, how does everybody feel? I need a Dutch lady. <laughs> I have a little bit of a desire to just go do more escape rooms. I feel I like now I'm in the rhythm where every day I must do escape rooms. Yeah. And so now I'm like, oh, I didn't escape anything today. I Except been- I did, actually. But, <laughs> <laughs> I've been having dreams for the past few nights. And I'm a bit of a sleep talker. And Amani's been telling me that I've been shouting numbers and codes. Like what? Wait. Uh, I think the first night I tried really hard to remember exact words. But half asleep, I couldn't. But the first night, I was like, it's a two. It's a two. <laughs> Remember that. <laughs> and then and then there were some other instructions that I don't remember anymore. And then... Climb the ladder. And then last night, it was like, stay there. But it was really, really urgent last night. It was really exciting. I mean, I get... I'm in a... Were they dreams or nightmares? Dreams. <laughs> Happy dreams. <laughs> You know, I don't know. I, I was uh, on 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 our we were on our way back or something. I had a sort of a pensive moment, and I realized that I really, really like escape rooms. And before I arrived, I sort of was like, okay, I'm on, coming on this trip. Cool. Uh, I've played one. I've, pl- I've played you know, I've played Earthrise one, and that's kind of it. Oh, and we played one in San Francisco um, that I enjoyed, but I was certainly not a you know a mega fan or anything. And now that I've played thirty something. Um, I really love them. Like, I don't know, the other day in the car as well, we were just going over how much we really love each other, and it's a very good team-building exercise. <laughs> like, no doubt. Can I build on to the dreams thing, which is there's this uh, thing known as the Tetris effect, 
mm-hmm. that you may have experienced before. If you play too much Tetris and you close your eyes, mm-hmm. you start to see your brain is like simulating Tetris, or you, you dream about it. And I've had that with a few video games. Uh, with Tetris. But I started having that with escape rooms. The and escape it only, room effect. It only ha- hit yeah. me at the end of the week. So I think it was two nights ago after like one big final day of escape rooms that night. And they weren't nightmares, but it was kind of like... <laughs> lucid. It wasn't, it wasn't lucid and it wasn't a coherent narrative. It was just like fragments of mm. like being in an escape mm. room. Mm. Uh, again, not scary or bad, just... As if, like, my brain was defragging yeah. itself. Or I, I was in a bathroom the other day in a, in a mall, of course, and there was a little service cupboard, and on the service cupboard there was a small padlock, and I walked into the room and I saw the padlock and I walked straight over to it. Uh. <laughs> and I was one of those weirdos in public who plays with locks. And, um, outside the, the place that we're staying, there are some pillars, and some work person along the way has left a, a small, you know, number of digits and letters, a measurement or something, on, on the pillar, and... Straight away, uh, the other day, I, I saw it and went up to it and pointed at it and tried. I said it out loud: four, four, seven, eight, eight. <laughs> and then I real, realized realized that I wasn't playing. You start to notice just details everywhere because yeah. you're you're used yeah, to looking, looking very things. closely at things now. Mm. Yeah, I was sitting in the car. I think it was three days ago, and I saw these three windows outside that didn't look the same. And I was counting the lines on the windows. <laughs> I so think it's happened to me a couple of times. So, like, the, the $25 word for that is apophenia, which is the feeling that you get when you start to see patterns and connections um, in places where they're not really supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually really curious. So, so you've been dreaming mm-hmm. about escape rooms, and, um, and it seems like you also have been seeing escape yeah. rooms. So, like, do you feel like that kind of full bleed effect has, has manifested? I'm saturated. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, we were in a cafe the other day discussing this, like this idea, you know, because we've, a lot of us, I think, have had dreams and stuff. We were observing this clock that had um, symbols and words around it instead of numbers. And we were kind of joking, like, this is, we're in an escape room everywhere we go. And then one of the staff members walks over to the bookshelf in this restaurant and opens it up and it's a secret cubby. It's a secret passageway. So yes, it's not not at all like an unpleasant feeling. Like I'm not going, damn it, I'm I'm cursed by escape rooms. It's like no, I'm fully I'm fully saturated by escape rooms. That was the point. Um, I'm with people who I really like, and I think we've had. I've I've personally had a really great time. Me too. I think it's really sad that Laura and Jay are leaving tonight, and it's the beginning of the end. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I too have noticed things like even this morning. Um, while we were walking uh, to have breakfast, I I noticed an arrow that was like uh, carved into the ground mm. on concrete, and I was like, "Oh my god, it's a clue! It's a clue! What does it mean?" I know that arrow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, and I've been like living in a room that at least for the last forty-eight hours, Shung Lun and I have been thinking about as an escape room. So like every single uh, um, kind of articulation every knob every way that something locks becomes like a series of more or less linear puzzles uh for for the group to do and so it's like we record this podcast with mattresses all over the walls so of course flipping the mattress down like a murphy bed is like a moment of course like opening the bathroom that we never do anything for the podcast is a moment um so like thinking of our house even mm. and i think that's like a shift maybe and that's something that i think started to happen in day 7 where we shifted from 
apophenic drive to design, like mm. starting to make some stuff. And with the constraints, for example, um, that we applied at uh, Code Factory. Yeah. The other thing that's happened is that uh, my memory of all of the escape rooms that I've played, and it's a lot, is sort of <laughs> a bit of a soup. Mm-hmm. And what's cool about that, at least, is that the good ones or the ones I enjoy the most sort of float to the surface, mm. like spaghettios and the shapes <laughs> and that's kind of like that's kind of satisfying it gives you a really good um first pass on what you enjoyed i think i could see this happening to shanglun because i get that as well like i i'm like trying these things and then i'm like so sick of trying and i want to make stuff now <laughs> and i asked him a couple of days ago are you at that point he was like yeah I've also shifted into thinking, like, how am I going to apply the stuff that we've learned and seen and the, the things that were the most fun mm. into our own experiences? That There was a turning point for me as well. So it seems like for all of you, at some point, maybe around day four, ran smack dab into the wall. And then one of the ways that we got over it was we started adding these different constraints. And it seems like now, at the end... Um, you've all just sort of moved into straight up designing mm-hmm. escape rooms as as uh, kind of the way out. Yeah, and I kind of have a question. Like, um, does it lead to design, or are there other places this method leads? Like, um, we never really tried speedrunning an escape room, like with full knowledge of all its components and like how you would literally get from point A to point B in the literally the fast amount of time, having full knowledge of all the puzzles, which right. becomes more about dexterity and athleticism. Right. We, I wonder, I I just, maybe this is a question for the group, like, where do you go if not design in terms of the next step of the method? Hmm. Well, there's a player perspective. Mm -hmm. And so uh, one of the questions I had, which was after doing all these escape rooms, well, is it, what's the difference? And there's some obvious differences, but I'm more interested in the subtle differences in the rise of co-op games, which we've seen, uh, I would say, in the last five years, especially in board games, but even uh, video games, like a renewed interest in team games. Think about like Overcooked or something mm-hmm. in terms of video games. And then think about like uh, <clears throat> Pandemic Legacy or something in terms of board games. Uh, there were obviously major similarities in terms of the felt experience of playing an escape room and playing uh, Overcooked together or something. Or even... Um, Patrick has a new installation, Octopad, uh, which is uh, eight kind of one-button-only Nintendo controllers, and you're playing NES games, but each of you have a different button. And so that there were major, major felt similarities. So I guess from a player experience, mm-hmm. it's, it's not, now how do I design new escape rooms? It's like, hmm, what are the kind of co-op games I actually like playing with my friends or don't like playing with my friends? And, and after this trip, what are the co-op experiences I'm thirsting to play more or mm. not? So. Mm. so we have kind of like designer and player. Are there any other like ways forward in like a multiplicity of escape rooms? Um, perhaps thinking about who you're playing with is uh, an interesting topic. Like, you know, uh, we have 10 people here, but often we're playing escape rooms with maybe three to five players. Mm-hmm. Um, were there any patterns that arose as a result, like, like, do you have any preferences to play with certain people or certain types of mm. people in the, you know, in the team? Um, yeah. Um, there's also, for me, the thing that I keep thinking and getting stuck on is, uh, and I guess it's, this is a bit of an open question, is, like, how much out of 10 did, did you all really enjoy the clambering around and, like, climbing ladders and crawling mm. through crawl spaces? Because it's those things which make these rooms completely inaccessible. 
mm-hmm. um, to people with accessibility needs. I mean, I think that they lend themselves really well to theatrical moments, but it is always at the expense of somebody's experience. So, mm-hmm. like, for us, that makes it not possible. Mm-hmm. We have to do it in other ways. And I think this actually feeds into maybe another question that I'd want to ask all of you, which is that it seems like a lot of the physicality of the rooms was something that I don't think we could experience this in North America and North American um, escape rooms because of maybe American life uh, sort of litigiousness or ADA regulations. And so one of the questions that I have um, is, you know, were you able to... Like, as you've been playing all of these escape rooms, are there a set of, like, tropes or common characteristics that seem to define the character of the escape rooms that we've played uh, this week and in this city? Mm-hmm. Uh, did anything kind of stick out to you? I think it made a huge difference when they were in the mall and the one that wasn't in the mall. Uh, so Lost in KL was the... And this is like a haunted house kind of horror escape room was the only one we played that wasn't in a mall. It had a ton of storefront. Yeah. The whole feeling of going in there was completely different. Mm -hmm. And I think I would really like to play more that are not in malls. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I mean, the other cool cool thing just about that is that it was in a really um, populated student area. It was also directly opposite um, a Starbucks and a McDonald's. So it was like a populated area. And I think that they would have way more walk-ins to come and experience this uh, horror room with escape room elements. Mm. And the way it was, like, commercial was different as well. Mm. Mm. Well, I think it just gets to that social context place is really important. Like, doing Mm. it in a mall Mm. maybe feels a little dorky, or you Mm. feel maybe, like, socially engineered in terms of, ah, yes, I'm in a mall, and these are one of the things I'm supposed to do to pay money for my entertainment at a mall, whereas... Mm -hmm. Uh, in this the Lost in KL in the street we went to, we were there at like 11 p.m. Mm-hmm. And yet, because the World Cup was showing, there was just a hugely busy street with people um, having snacks and drinking on a big screen. So mm-hmm. it felt, um, we felt more, whether this is bullshit or not, more part of the fabric of the social life there sure. and less engineered. Somehow. Yeah, yeah. So um, prior to to my coming here, I'd only played two escape rooms, and coincidentally, both of them actually had Morse code. Mm-hmm. And um, I noticed here that none of the Let escape rooms that that we played had that. So that just like yeah. wasn't part of the design language of the games that we played. And yeah, are there any other things that that you all noticed? Well, I was just going to say actually that like I think considering the number of rooms we played. I found them to be pretty unique. Like, each one had, like, there were common themes, there were common things we had to do, but, like, each time we went into one, it was slightly differently framed, slightly differently designed, in a way that, like, I actually appreciated that Mm. each one wasn't just a carbon copy of the next. For sure. And, like, every now and then, towards the end of the week, we would say, ah, I know how to solve this. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't, there was never the case of, ah, I know how to solve everything because I've seen it before. There were always, yeah, unique puzzles in every room all the way through the field to the end. I think something that's different that I've noticed, and maybe this is because in the U.S. we're trying to go to ones that are more technologically advanced and newer built, mm-hmm. um, just because, like, that's where the sort of future of the industry is, is lying um, in, like, automation. Mm-hmm. But the ones here had both a combination of, like, fiddly-ass little padlocks and, like, number <laughs> things and technological stuff. All of them had maglocks. Some of them had 
um, linear actuators that were like pushing open boxes. But that was about it. Like, in, you know, in the U.S. ones, we've seen, um, you know, panels move on the wall or, you know, things raise up from a table. And um, there wasn't that much of that. But usually in the U.S., I mean, they call it Gen 1 when it's completely manually propelled and it's just like locks and stuff. So, like, it, it's an interesting mix for me to see. They all have mag locks, but mm-hmm. they are still relying on, on padlocks and stuff. So do you think this is like a, um, if we had to kind of summarize it, maybe we don't want to, but uh, like a Gen 1.5 that includes... You know, some technology in every case, almost, in terms of, like, maglocks. Uh, but then the other outstanding features, I think, of this place are physicality, mm-hmm. seems to stand out. And then uh, regional theming uh, seems to be another standout. And so at places like Breakout and Lost in KL, uh, there were themes that wouldn't probably be in the States. Um, whether it be, um, you know, specific East Asian uh, or Southeast Asian themes uh, in horror or things like the classroom murder, which probably also wouldn't be in the States. Interestingly, Lost in Kale combines the physicality and the local theming. Well, I think what was different, some of us were talking about this, was the mix of different cultural hegemonies. Mm-hmm. So sure, there was like a lot of Hollywood in there, but maybe unlike the U.S., there was also uh, strands of Japanese or especially Chinese popular culture yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's one or of these folklore. Yeah. Right. But maybe it's more that like mix of those dominant cultural influences, like that cocktail, the yeah. ratios were different. Um, but uh, yeah, totally. I think before midnight was very local, like the, the tunes that were there and the clothes mm. and pictures. That, mm. that was also at Lost in KL. And we did one that was about the Chinese underworld too, but yeah, the the physicality is a big thing, but can we can we do maybe a quick review for the people listening? Like, just like, what do we mean by physicality? I, I feel like um, there were, there were kind of two flavors of physicality. One was uh, the escape rooms that we saw at Mission Q, which were really experimenting with puzzles that were physical, whether it was like bowling balls that was swinging or. Uh, using water to kind of raise an object inside a pipe or using magnets or, you know, like cranks and things like that. Um, I feel like that's one flavor of physicality. The other was like this very um, bodily physicality that we saw a lot in Lost in KL, Mm. um, where one example was like we literally (laughs) had to uh, lift another player up to escape uh, an elevator Yeah, so Doug, Stephanie, Patrick, and I were in uh, this elevator, and we thought, oh, you know, what if these doors don't open? What do we do? And then I said, Doug, touch the roof. And, you know, I'm pretty sure Doug thought, no way. But lo and behold, (laughs) lo and behold, long arms Doug pulled the, pulled the, pushed the panel up and it flung over. And my first thought was, oh, fuck. Like, I I weigh a lot. I can't climb out of this. What are we going to do? So I thought, I'll just send Doug up to start. So I made a little hand cradle, and I pushed him up, and lo and behold, he came down with a ladder. Can I give you a hold up? Okay. Are we Here, meant we to boost yeah. ourselves up into Ready? the... Ready? Go. Yep. This is 
the <laughs> most incredible moment. Uh, where no fucking way. The team can't believe no that we way. have to climb up the because ceiling. Because every parlor has told us no ceiling. The entire team is mystified that we have to actually climb up out of the elevator. Um, their minds are blown. Their minds are blown. The idea that you'd have to actually give yeah, like, a player a boost I gave him to a boost. get the ladder. Yeah, and up he went and I came down. And there was this ladder, and this ladder was like shitty aluminium. The locks on it didn't work. It kept wanting to collapse, and I'm still thinking, "Oh fuck! Like this is this is a problem." It was like a telescoping ladder. This, by the yeah. way, this is in the survivor room of Lost in Chaos. So I'm kind of starting to. I mean, I was trying to keep it kind of on the down low, but I was freaking out. I was like, "This is not going to be good. Like, can I can I move backwards out of this? Can I?" like stay here and make some kind of excuse for a little while and then try to get out. Like, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually I said, I'll go up the ladder last. Um, and, and I went up very slowly and carefully and, you know, and got out and it was fine. But, um, that was terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't like it, but at mm-hmm. the same time, um, kind of cool and exciting. And but that was probably yeah. the most extreme that was physical thing that we extreme. had to do in all of the rooms, right? But there was there was a lot of crawling and kind of like mm-hmm. ducks. Even one, I can't remember which room it was, where the duct ceiling went down. You had to pretty much go on your belly to kind of crawl through in, uh, a very narrow space. The, the scientific one. Yeah, I think it was full yeah. out. We're putting in the launch code now. Okay. Four, eight, two, three. You ready? Oh. We watched a little animated GIF. The rocket has been launched to the target. The uh, estimated time of impact to the target is approximately 60 seconds. Get out! We have to self destruct. Get out! 5771! 5771 is. 5771 my new favorite thing is watching Doug Wilson crawl. Yeah, the thing with that, with that there's this tiny, um, I had to do like a, a military style kind yeah. of crawl, which was really mm-hmm. fun. I don't mind crawling. and But then you get to the end of this hole and there's a, just a drop with <laughs> with oh. these stairs and you kind of have to, I was just, yeah, just amazing. But I think the thematic thing to, to just follow this conversation up with, like we teased it at the beginning, but just, like there's both the huge excitement and what's like, it's, Goldie gets to a little bit with that elevator, like yeah. the the pluses and minuses of the mm. physicality, like um, boosting. I, mean, I guess Laura like, talks about that a little bit, but I think it is like there's both design and ethical. Like mm. it's precisely because you can't do that in the U.S. that it was so exciting, but it's like mm. it's a yeah. That's I think a really rich. I, like yeah. I, I really enjoyed boosting you. Yeah, you know, that <laughs> felt really good. I felt like I was a teenager. Well, but that 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 suggests like, well, are there? This is a false binary. Mm-hmm. So, what would it mean to do escape rooms where you have the one physical person who, and not the do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So, it I think that's right. It is a false binary. I think in terms of design, where you can have uh, the physical person, and you can be advised by the staff that 
This puzzle requires at least one person who's comfortable climbing or going into small spaces, but always have a shortcut that gets unlocked for the rest yeah, of the sure. team. Yeah. Uh, and Mission Cube pulled that off, I think, nicely in a few rooms, and then a few rooms it went completely out the window. So it's not like a design rule for any of the rooms that they have to have the shortcut, but it strikes me as one possible way forward for designing a super physical room. Where you have one player that might get boosted up, and then a ladder falls down, or not a ladder, a but opens. a door opens. Mm -hmm. That kind of, It's kind of like Dark Souls design. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I will say, like, there were a lot of actually legitimately dangerous things that we did. Yeah. And like, I'm pretty, my knees and legs are bruised from yeah, four or five cuts yeah I, I think that like platforms being built as close to the ceiling as they were such that the sprinkler heads were kind of at our forehead level when we're crawling in the dark mm. um you know we're we're all i think a lot of us are pretty bruised up on our mm -hmm. legs and knees and then like there some of that clambering stuff not just the elevator but um to get into the pen where the bowling balls were was like actually really perilous and then you're on a sort of rickety set of steps with no hand railing or, or guide of any kind. Yeah, how many folks in here have an injury? I have an injury. Aren't your knees pretty bad? I don't know what's Amani happening to my knees. Amani is impervious to damage. I, little, <laughs> I, I yeah. think I have a little rash on both my knees. Mm -hmm. but so the majority of us have some kind of scrape, cut, bruise. Yeah. Um, maybe nothing, uh, no broken limbs on this trip, uh, but still. Well, but it feels like, you know, when people are sort of nostalgic about, like, theme parks from the 70s or whatever, <laughs> when they're, they were super dangerous and you could get away with stuff, like, there's a real fun element for sure. to that, but for sure. it's also not something we can do anymore. <laughs> I mean, so, definitely can't do it in the U.S. legally, but I think that's what's interesting about Malaysia. Yeah. And I think, again, it's maybe a little bit of a, for me, a false binary, which is, the problem is not necessarily that it was dangerous, the problem was that it was maybe not, we were not totally... Uh, consenting to that because it was unclear what that was right. so to, to get to the point is if they were like you know listen for this escape room you're going to need generally someone to do x and y and z are you okay with that that you know that that to me would be exciting because there is a, a pleasure in kind of dark play slightly dangerous things and so is there a way to negotiate that um to be fair some escape room parlors did guide you through what was required so a lot of them would be like no need to touch the ceilings, no need to crawl, but others were explicit about like, there's crawling, there's climbing, and blah blah blah. Um, most escape rooms also didn't have a consent form to fill in, some of them did. Um, mm. And those, I feel, tended to be the ones that had uh, the more physical stuff. During the interlude, Amani, Chad, and Patrick get tangled up in Mr. Oswald's greatest show, a creepy marionette masterpiece where the players become the puppets at the original breakout in Avenue K. Okay, so I'm here, um, well, maybe we can say our names really fast. Amani Nassim. Patrick Lemieux. Chad Chopra. And Amani, Chad, and I uh, have done a few escape rooms together this week, usually the ones that nobody else wants to do. So specifically at uh, the fifth room, we played Ha Ha Circus, which is like a clown carnival, kind of like a carnival theme. Mm -hmm. It was that kid, the one that they had for families. Right. <laughs> but it wasn't... It, the last room certainly wasn't family-friendly in that one. And then at Avenue K, for the Breakout franchise, we scheduled 
Mr. Oswald's Greatest Show, which is a puppet-themed escape room. Yeah. And nobody in our group wanted to play it. Everyone else wanted to try these uh, other rooms. Um, we ourselves actually kind of wanted to try other rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we broke away and just because we were taking way too long. And so we were like, nah, let's just do this yeah. one. Reunite the Haha Circus crew yeah. to do another creepy carnival yeah. type yeah. thing. Yeah. 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 yeah, people are really scared of puppets in our group. Mm. Mm. There were two people who were terrified. Yeah, well, to be fair, the, the poster does look quite creepy. Yeah, the poster, we're holding the poster right now. It's like a, it's a kind of like sideshow attraction poster, but with the creepiest, like, R.L. Stein puppet yes. in the middle of it. Yes. And it says, kids love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we got taken into the room, and the room's super small. Yeah. It has a red velvet curtain on the left side, and we're kind of standing on a wooden floor, yeah. and the first thing that Wait, happens is... The, the, the first thing that happens when we enter the room is the, uh, the game master asks which one of you is the bravest. And, and I um, immediately said, me. Yeah. So she Which is true, I think. Right? I think so. Yeah, Amani's so. the bravest of all of us. Yeah. So we get handcuffed. Yeah. But not to one another. No. So there was like a... Instead of, like, uh, jail-like bars in front of us, just, like, between us and the red uh, velvet, or maybe behind the behind red velvet, the red velvet curtain. Right. But we could kind yeah, of hear the clink curtain. and clang. So yeah. the, these, like, long chains came out from under the red curtain. Yeah. And uh, Amani tried to move the red curtain, but the attendant was like, just wait a second uh, until I leave before yeah. you start. Yeah. And so they tiptoe out of the room. And uh, at, at the Breakout franchise, there's always, like, a video that plays at the start. So we watch the video, which is about, um, I guess, Oswald, mm-hmm. who is a creepy puppeteer of mm-hmm. some kind. I can't remember the video super clearly. Welcome to Mr. Oswald's Greatest Show. You saw the poster on the puppet show outside and found it to be really interesting. We were puppet lovers. So you have decided to pay 15 cents to watch the show. As you have settled down and all ready for the show, you fell asleep. And then woke up to find yourself handcuffed to the stage performing. That's us! We're like dancing puppets for puppets! But I think that's not the most important thing. He has disappeared. He's gone. We have to find him. So of course, Amani, I think you're the first one to rip the red curtain away. (laughs) And what do we see in front of us? Amani is anxious to look behind the curtain and reveal that we're on stage to a puppet show! Wow. Like puppets are watching yes. us. Puppets. We're all chained to a stage and it's puppets watching us. It's just like a huge auditorium of creepy marionettes and puppets. Staring at us. Like a theater yeah. with like red velvet seats. Absolutely. And we were like, we were suddenly the puppets performing to the audience of marionettes. It it was immediately clear, like vivid to us that, oh, we're on stage with strings on and we have to dance puppet dance to like this theater of super creepy, like some have their heads on backwards, some are like taken apart. They're like all kinds of different forms. Some seem Malaysian, some seem more Western. Like it's a big mix of creepy puppets in an auditorium. And, And at the back of the auditorium, there's a big poster. Yeah. Of, of, of this main Mr. Oswald. I guess this puppet is Mr. Oswald. With holes so, yes. for eyes. Yeah. yeah. Someone's watching us. Yeah. So uh, Patrick and I are at this stage kind of looking around the room for uh, for clues, for puzzles. And the first thing that Armani does is 
uh, poke her finger into this little hole that says push on it. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Do any of you have... Wait a There's a... Oh, wait. Um, without letting anyone know. And then, uh, you hear this, like... The box was inside the, the, like, it, the box was on the other side of the bars from us. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yes, you reach your finger through and poke a a hole. Yeah. And this, like, heavy ball drops and makes this huge clank sound. And all of a sudden this, uh, uh, this, uh, like, velvet piece of, uh, fabric falls from the sky, um, startling us. And, and there was our first clue. Yeah, all the jump scares in this particular room were, like, things attached to fishing line and stuff that, like, drops on the ground and makes a sound. So not, like, animatronic, but just um, kind of attached to strings. Strings, strings yeah. everywhere. Strings. Yeah. So there's a series of uh, puzzles that involve doing things with the theater, but I think the thing it's all leading up to is when we... And, and this was a... I think we maybe saw it coming, but it was still a delightful moment where we actually had to dance. Yeah. So how did that work exactly? Uh. So at some point in time, we uh, opened a box. Mm -hmm. um, And then inside it was like this instruction to press the play button uh, on the entrance door. Yep. So we pressed the play button. At first, nothing really happened. We're all in chains. Yes. On this wooden stage. Yeah. And the stage, importantly, has like a grid of random numbers on it. So we knew it would be some kind of puzzle eventually. But what started emanating from the speakers, we just burst out laughing, I think, because it's so good, is like a little creepy girl singing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. But it's like, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, touch the highest number on the left. Yeah. Turn 90 degrees to the right. <laughs> walk forward five, then walk back. Like, yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh, gosh. So it's time for us to dance. Put on our dancing shoes. All right, we're standing on a bunch of numbers. Oh, my God. This is actually really cool. Okay, everyone ready? So which yep. one has eight, three next to eight and three next to them? Here we go, here we go. Ready? Three, press it. One, face the one inside, face the one inside. different songs yep and so what do we have to do we have to like chad chad takes the left and i take the right and we're like yep. in our strings Ugh. like toe tapping toe uh tapping around the stage yeah yeah and because we're, because we're told to like take you know two steps forward and then rotate to the left it really felt like we were being puppeteered yeah you know? and uh, that was one of the cool things about this room it was like um, most escape rooms have kind of theming around the moment of escape. Very few escape rooms have theming about the way you get strung along, literally exactly. on strings linearly, or the way that you're being controlled by a puppet master. Mm. So this was super clear that we were being puppeted by the puppets. Yeah. Um, puppeted by the puppet master <laughs> and by the, by the escape room. Yeah. 
Yeah, and so we end up, Chad ends up on one number and I end up on another, and those fit in to yeah. get us into the next room, which is pitch black. Yeah. So, of course, what happens next is Amani just like dives into the pitch black space. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Oh. So, Amani went into the dark space behind us beyond. Because computer. I was a and brave person. You were brave. <laughs> We had to actually assemble the handle to get in there. That was so cool. Yeah, good point. So the, the <coughs> clues on the floor opened a toolbox that had the handle that in it. That had a handle in it. Yeah. Which is the first time that it's not a key to a door, totally. but a handle yeah, that I you get. I thought that was super powerful because they could have easily just given us a key, but no, they gave us, they gave us the whole handle to assemble, like mm-hmm. the, the spring and everything. Um, that was quite unique. I didn't know, but I had the longest chain. Turned out because right. I was the bravest person. Yeah. So when I saw the dark door opening, I was like, okay, I'm brave. I must have to go there. Yeah. <laughs> the, the rest of us actually didn't have a long enough chain to even to follow look. her. Yeah. 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 We couldn't even see what was in there. Yeah. So, so what did you experience in there, Amani? So I just, it, it was a corridor and then I was feeling along the walls and around the corner there was the key to mm-hmm. our handcuffs. Mm-hmm. Yep. When when Patrick and I like peeked uh, at the corridor, the only thing that we saw was like this dismembered like leg. Yeah. Just there, and oh that was like God. the only thing that the light was hitting. I think Jay had been mentioning this, where like you can get narrative in many forms, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's like text based or mm-hmm. audio based or video based. But a good image that you get when you turn a corner is yeah. definitely a way that happens, and this like mannequin leg, leg was one of those cage. Yeah. So there was a, this second room, uh, there were a series of puzzles dealing with an art table that we had to decrypt. And in that room, there was like a tiny puppet stall, like a little th- shadow puppet like theater. Mm-hmm. There was the art table with like a mannequin's hand and some drawing materials and different like things that we had to do. And then the whole time behind us is this cage with the woman's leg on it and a bunch of tools. Yeah. And so uh, what happened next? So we tried to figure out the two combination locks, which had to do with the, the art table. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of used rulers to line things up. It was like a, a, a wooden hand uh, yeah. that was like pointing to something on the wall. It had to do with numbers. So we, we kind of like figured all of those out. But the final thing we needed to figure out was the puzzle inside the, the little cage. So the two puzzles on the table opened the two locks on the puppet the theater. And yeah. inside that was, a, of course. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it, was, it was like a, uh, like a little voodoo doll puppet thing. And on, yeah. one, and on one hand, it had a little metal ring. Um, and I, I'm, I was the one to unlock it. And I immediately took it. And I was like, hey... Let me, like, you know, the, the next um, natural step was to try and figure out the, the cage puzzle. So yeah. I jumped in there instantly. Though you didn't jump. You had to, like, crawl through the doggy right. door That's under right. the woman's leg to get into the black iron cage. Yeah. By the- this time, we knew what the puppeteer wanted to do. They mm-hmm. wanted to take our brains <laughs> and put them inside puppets. Uh-huh. I think that's right. <laughs> 
So on yeah. the bottom of the cage were like um, almost like choreography yes. for the voodoo doll. Yes. So Chad's like inside the dog cage with the little puppet on strings that is like put in a slot. Mm. And Amani and I are crouched on the floor like children, yeah. telling yeah. him, "Oh, raise the arm now. Now move to the to our left. Yeah. Then raise the leg. Then move to your left." And at some point, the puppet like goes behind a wall, so Chad can no longer see it. Yeah. So uh, prior to that, like I could see the the um, the body positions and movements that I need to perform with the puppet, but then it came to this bit where. I could no longer see, and the other two players had to instruct, uh, had to instruct me and tell me what to do. Please bring the ring oh, slightly right. lower and lower. more towards us. A little bit lower. Oh, perfect. Towards Amani. More that way. Towards Amani, if possible. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, Put this oh, hand. Wait, Put like, this hand close. So close, Chad. Lower, more for sure. Hitting. Keep everything lower. Everything needs everything to be lower. Yeah, now take it all the way over as far as you can to the... Uh, yeah, 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 oh, I see, I see. Okay, so... Yes, yes, almost. Oh, almost. It needs to be closer to me. Almost, almost. Yes, that's yes, it. Yes, up, yes. slowly, up. Um, and so eventually we... It was a switch. It was a switch. <laughs> it, was, it was a switch and we had to flick the switch. With the ring on the, the ring. voodoo doll, but Amani and I guiding, puppeting you. Yeah. So this is so cool. Like, and we are, you we are become like a puppet for us. Yeah. <laughs> and we're doing this yeah. theater of the oppressed kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And so um, we finally flick the switch. We hear a door unlock uh behind us inside the shadow puppet theater yes yeah yes and at this point in time i was like yes we did it we can escape um and so amani and patrick rush to the to the hidden door client clamber up on another stage this yeah. like tiny shadow puppet stage yeah. and vanish behind yeah. the curtains and, into the wall and, and so after that i'm like yes and i'm like eager to join them but when i go to pull uh the cage door I realize that it's been locked. So, oh no, I'm stuck. Are you caged? Friends, I'm stuck. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> they have magnetic walls. Leave them, let's get out of here. Goodbye, friends. Goodbye. Oh my god, I get, are they gonna see ya? <laughs> We're leaving you. We're leaving him. Oh my god. Let's get out of here. Later, Chad. See ya. You're on your own. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> So I was like, no, it's a lot. It's like a magnetic lock that was enabled uh, when I flicked the switch, which uh, disabled the other door, but locked mine. And all of a sudden, I was trapped. And we were like, so we "Goodbye, were see you, Chad." Patrick ran out. Like, leave him, leave him. And and I was saying, "No, we can't let them take Chad's brain." Yeah, and we we. It was amazing that they were asking us to leave someone behind. And, us. Yeah, and we dashed down one of the creepiest hallways, which is full of like super weird foam. It looks like the trash compactors in Star Wars. Yeah. And Amani and I get to the end, and we open the door, and the attendant is there. And I it's was like, still holding. I was thinking. I was thinking about how we could get Chad out. I was yeah. still thinking about that. Yeah. 
Patrick had just abandoned. Gotta go. It's time to go. And yeah, what what we discovered is that you can actually save your friend. There's a just a, a unceremonious stick yep. in that final corridor yep. that you can grab and rush back, put it through the bars, and and that's when you threw the switch yourself. Yep. Yeah, so I eventually unlocked it, and then we all while spent. while I, I while one of us held the, that trap door yeah. open. Um, there was something like fifty two seconds remaining on our clock. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of teams, I bet, have to leave. And this is so cool. Like a lot of escape rooms start with the group separated, mm. but very few of them require a sacrifice. Mm. I think Lost in KL does, and and this one was the second one. Um, but it's a really nice, like, I think the whole room was put together really nicely in the sense that the theme was really clear in all the puzzles. Mm. We actually articulated the narrative through our gestures and through the way we worked with one another, like making you puppet for us, getting on multiple different kinds of stages, being on strings, trying to get off of strings. Um, and I think that, yeah, these ones that we skipped, like Haha Circus and the Marionette, um... I turned out to be some of my favorite ones on this trip. Yeah. Same, same. <laughs> and that that corridor, that last corridor, it was just it, the way it was made. It just made you want to run through it. Yes, yeah. Because you did not want to stay in that foam. It was gross. That's such a good point because yeah. normally you leisurely stroll through hallways, Absolutely. but that foam made it really feel like a great yeah. escape. Yeah. Um, huh. The 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 other thing is um, with the ending uh, when some people do end up. Um, abandoning their teammate, usually the GM would come back in and and let mm-hmm. the, the remaining player out as opposed to the team members coming back for them. Yeah, that's um, my one regret, I think, is not just Amani and I going to get a coffee yeah. and like letting yeah. the staff let you out. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, was, I was chatting to local friends of mine here and uh, when they played it, they left their team member behind and the, and the reason behind that was mm. to get a lower ending time, time. yeah <laughs> um, that's quite interesting well uh yeah so this was mr oswald's greatest show and uh yeah it was at avenue k in breakout um and and i have to say patrick is pretty light on his feet when he's following the dance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good at puppet dancing yeah it's yeah. like the john travolta twist in uh i all right, and that's it for this. We'll go back to the normal podcast. Thanks. Next, we'll start to reflect on some of the lessons we've learned throughout the trip and share some of our favorite moments before starting to say goodbye. Um, what I wanted to actually start asking people about is is what all of you thought um, it was going to be like playing 50 escape rooms in a row uh, versus what <laughs> what actually happened and kind of looking back on it all now. Um, I um, I had heard a lot about escape rooms being very, very popular here and that there were, you know, Malaysia was one of the big countries that was like leading the way. I was actually expecting more in the way of technology and narrative to take like a big focus 
I think that's because that's where we are aiming. It's like we are trying to push those things to make these magical moments that seem impossible. And it didn't seem in most cases that that was where they've gone and they have their own style to them. Yeah. And I mean, part of that too, which we learned from speaking with one of the owners, um, is that they run franchises. And so just in the design inherently, it needs to be less technological um, because it's, that is very difficult to create. And we are trying to work on something that I consider extremely site specific you know, like as we're working on this, we're opening this new location and we're talking about like the future of the company and everybody's like, well, are you going to franchise it? Are you going to do it in different places? I'm like, maybe, but that's kind of not the point. Like I know we should think about it and it's a smart retail side of things to do, but like, it's not the interesting artistic side. And that's actually what I care about. Not that these are not artistic, not that they're not interesting, um, but it it was in some cases here at least obviously driven by franchise first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when I started out and when I thought we were going to do this, I expected the experience to be like far more baffling and um, linguistically inaccessible and um, thematically inaccessible in terms of um, escape rooms happening in a different part of the world. And maybe that's because I'm like completely ignorant about Malaysian history and, uh, influences of, uh, kind of, uh, Great Britain or like the different surrounding countries or, um, kind of, uh, how many cultures are mixing, uh, in this space. But I came out of it, um, with something else, which was like a series of relatively accessible experiences, which we could compare kind of finer grain details Something that I was surprised by a little bit um, that was revealed by doing so many in a row at each parlor was how clear the voice of the author was every single time. Mm. Like each one had a very distinct point of view, whether we liked it or not. Um, It was really obvious like what that person was interested in and like kind of how their mind worked in terms of what they would encode into stuff. Uh, And that was something that you do not get doing them kind of sporadically. It was only revealed by doing mm. it in this manner. Doing many of them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and right in a row. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. So you feel like if you had been staying here for a longer period of time and doing like one escape room a week or a month that you wouldn't have gotten that sort of larger sense. Like this is actually, I, I, this is a question for everybody too, in terms of like the method that we all willingly decided to subject ourselves to is that, do you think that, um, it made a difference, uh, the fact that we were actually playing all these games in an extremely, extremely condensed period of time versus more of a drip method if we decided to go that way. Um, so I think I'm actually the only person in the room who has been to Kale before and played an escape room. Um, I've been here in 2013, 2014, and once last year in 2017. And I played an escape room once per trip. Um, something that didn't happen, uh, at each time was, um, kind of obtaining some sort of, uh, escape room literacy. And I feel like that only happened as a result of having played so many escape rooms in a row. You kind of like, you learn and understand the vocabulary, the, the things you need to do in them, um, the types of puzzles. Uh, all that comes about through playing a bunch of escape rooms in a row. Even like building rapport with the staff at each place 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it made a difference in things like our second visit to Lost in KL. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when they let us kind of hang out in the hallway and like listen at the door and we could, we could see them doing the scares and stuff. And I think normally we would have been uh, very much confined to the front. And I, I think maybe some, some of the people who are players here are not necessarily designers, maybe now in a more designer mindset where when you go in and see a puzzle, you're like looking at the construction of it mm. and how you're going to be solving it. And maybe even like technically how it actually works and using that information, mm -hmm. which if you'd have just played like a single one, you would be like that you're coming in as a player and now everyone has a completely different mindset to that. Mm -hmm. And I think there are some things about the franchises and not just a single site. I think that's true that you get a, um, a kind of taste of the single site that uh, intensifies in flavor as you like go through them there. But then the franchises so much dawned on me at the second breakout, which is we went to breakout new in new central but then we went to break out in avenue k the first um kind of escape room in that franchise and it only dawned on me then that it's not steampunk it's not like historical fiction it's like uh the nolan verse is like where <laughs> those rooms take place in it's like inception music is playing in one room and prestige music is playing in another room and it's mm. that's the universe actually the the metaverse that those games and i, I wouldn't have gotten that playing a single one of them yeah. never you have to have multiples to see that um, those kinds of connections in that repetition. Mm -hmm. um, and that was one of the strongest theme spaces uh, in terms of narrative design, in terms of props, in terms of care. Uh, but it was totally like in a Christopher Nolan universe that those yeah. games were taking place in. Yeah, we played another one that was like very much Inception. We played <laughs> another one that was very much The Prestige. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that doesn't that indicate that many of these parlors are like designed by a single voice, yes. right? Yeah. So you can see the character of that person running throughout them, and you can see even by playing the older ones versus the newer ones, how it actually develops, because many of them are spaced out over multiple years of being built. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah and there's so much we took for granted, I think, when we first went to Breakout New, for example, where yeah. we had some uh, kind of quick criticisms or some thoughts that didn't um, uh, kind of understand the complexities of building for a franchise, which put limitations on the specific things you might want to do in a room technically or in a room in terms of staff labor. Mm -hmm. um, um, one other thing I noticed was the more we played, the more I figured out what type of player I am mm -hmm. um, and how I function within a team, kind of like uh, escape room etiquette almost, you know. Um, you know sometimes I'd stand back let let the eager and hungry people figure out the puzzle while I <laughs> while I look for other clues in the room, right? Um, sometimes you have to give people permission to do what they want to do. Um, and other times, you know, when nothing else is happening, you notice that and so you take charge. With that etiquette thing, I think I already had, you know, I already had that for some reason. Maybe because I've been... I've been playing with Chang'un before. What's your etiquette style? Like, if Chad's is kind of sitting back and maybe, like, appreciating clues that nobody else is, what, what would you say your signature style is, Amani? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It depends on who I'm with. Also. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. I could articulate what some of yours is. Yeah. You're not afraid of anything. Yes. You're the bravest. Like, you yes. interact with stuff immediately in a really fun and exploratory way. Like, when we were at the end of that hallway and there was like an electric chair 
you're like, I'll get in it. Like, yeah. just <laughs> sitting down and strapping yourself right in. You know? and, but it was something, like, especially it carried us in a lot of moments when we were all really tired. Mm. And, like, kind of like, ah, oh, another thing that we have to, like, crawl up or... Or this might be a jump wants. scare and yeah. nobody wants to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think in terms of the etiquette that we developed, like... There are a number of cool things that happen in a room that you can almost, like, you can tell that they're coming because you've seen a big item, you know, mm-hmm. there's going to be a big action piece, yeah. and you want to allow other people to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to make sure that everyone gets to take their turn, especially when we're playing 30 of these games, yeah. right? There's so many people. Mm-hmm. That was something I had to... I mean, I, I'm i the little sister of three big brothers, <laughs> and so I know that I'm bossy, and I know that I like to take charge and sort of be the center of attention and and i've always been that way and i've always sort of you know in team situations seen myself acting that way but i found that yeah with so many opportunities to redeem that <laughs> i was able to a few times there are some great moments because goldie and i are both um yeah get hot-headed <laughs> we and, and uh, there were some moments where it's like especially when we're playing silently or yeah. just grab the puzzle and so we're gonna and then we can grab, grab back, back yeah. and grab back and forth like my turn <laughs> So, you know, as a hobby, we do a lot of, like, competitive puzzling events. Mm -hmm. And um, the school of puzzling that we kind of come from uh, is sort of based in Puzzle Pint, which is, like, an organization that started in Portland. It's a monthly event. It's now in, like, 60 cities. I think this is the 10th anniversary. Um, But just the manner of their puzzle development, the manner of their playtesting, and then the way that they give hints is, like, that's what we sort of learned from. And it's always about fun first mm-hmm. in that group, right? It's like, if you're not having fun, why are you here? And in competitive puzzling events, we have been exposed to people that come from different schools. Right. So there's like a huge Boston community. There's a huge Seattle community. There's a huge Bay Area community. And a lot of people are really competitive, even amongst their team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we rolled in as this sort of like kind of hippie Portland to more like, <laughs> hey, everybody, it's so great to see you. You know, everyone's wearing matching shirts. I mean. mm-hmm. And people were, like, really defensive and kind of angry and, like, thought that we were, like, trying to get, and, you know, we're not a competitive team either in terms of, like, we knew we were going to be middle of the pack to bottom half. So, mm-hmm. like, we're not trying to get one over on people. Um, but there, there's one event in particular that was a weekend long and at the end of it, people were like, I just, I'm not sure that we're going to be friends after this. Oh they had been arguing the whole time. So I just wanted oh. to like, it, it really, it's something that you have to cultivate deliberately, the kind mm-hmm. of dynamic that we have going here. Mm-hmm. And like, it's down to every individual and like nobody was cruel or snapped or was mean. Like everybody took care <laughs> of everybody else. So I just wanted to say that that is actually really special and important. And I think that having the method helped us because the structure in within the extremely stressful scenarios of like it's a timed event like we're all tired there we were hungry a lot of the time (laughs) and like we're putting ourselves deliberately into a stressful situation where we're like using all of our brain capacity that by the end of the day you know like i'm so tired i'm forgetting words Mm -hmm. at some of those sessions Yeah. yeah Um, so or some we, of these podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you'll have definitely heard that. But it, it really it is something special that we have done. So. Um, oh, you first. Okay, yeah, I was just going to just reiterate that maybe part of what this group does is it's not about like the specific games or the specific place. It's about 
an attitude towards play and mm. uh, an attitude towards making and an attitude towards thinking that go hand in hand. And I think some of the constraints that we developed, even talking into a microphone or something while we're in a room, uh, change the other things, right? Um, and I'm really curious to see if listeners pick that up, like in a casual game, because I think somebody just talking about what's happening does help. And it takes the pressure off of somebody who feels like maybe they don't want to be in charge of doing a puzzle or get blamed if they put the lock in wrong or something like <laughs> that. So some of my questions about that are, like, how do you develop that? Or like, uh, is that part of the method? Um, here's a different observation about my expectations for the trip. And then I'm going to leverage that to maybe talk about future uh, directions. Um, Jay had early on uh, in this episode mentioned that he was surprised how different uh, all the rooms and parlors were. And I half agree with that, but I think I was also personally, one of the most surprising things to me was how clear uh, patterns there were between the different, or conventions almost, between the parlors. Puzzles. Uh, not just the puzzles, but things like so many of them had the uh, group split into two halves in different rooms at the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, and we could, co we could come up and maybe we do that on tomorrow's episode, this yeah. list of like kind of conventions. And so there's, a, I think, a sociological thing going on where these different designers have been influenced by each other in the city. So one, uh, this wasn't our project, but it would be really interesting to, to see a kind of multi-site sociological project like well how how is this actually happening what i wanted to kind of though leverage that into is maybe there is uh, a really uh, and i don't know this but a kind of need or desire to cross these communities um, across the globe to to reach out and like learn how different all these conventions are and remix that um, across cities across countries so uh and maybe that's especially true of escape rooms because they're so in-person versus like video games that travel borders so quickly over the internet. So, yeah, you know, true. what are the, and maybe this is a question for Laura and Jay, because I'm not personally an escape room maker, but what are those, uh, you know, escape room conferences or forums and stuff? So there was just without, um, I love doing the rooms here, but I, I, I still don't think I ex expected to be able to identify such clear patterns within the city. You know, we sort of discussed this, I think, early on in an, in the podcast, um, not this episode, but previous ones, where cities start to develop quirks that are sort of, they ping around onto each other. Mm -hmm. um, so something that was a similarity here, the physicality for sure, but things like on the posters style, they're all film style posters. Um, the way They list physicality or whatever, whatever elements, like on a scale of one to five, um, in the same sort of graphical manner. Like those are definitely... Because one has done it, they are all now doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for sure the splitting up as well is something that like one person did that kind of infected everybody else. Right. <laughs> um, but it's true. Like now, so we don't really participate in the sort of um, escape room community at large as far as conventions go. Mm -hmm. There are events for them that are like vendor shows that have come from haunted house conventions. Mm -hmm. So it's spawned from that. There is a, a convention called Up the Game. Oh, was it in Utrecht? I think. Um. Anyway, it's a you know somewhere in Europe. Um. Up the Game. And those are those more industry. That's a, that's an indie one, I think. Oh. Um. But that's only been running a couple years, so the, there really aren't that many places for people in the U.S. to gather outside of like individual cities mm -hmm. or from from the specific industries. Like if you're a haunted house person, for example. 
Um, we have connected with individual owners in different cities because it's very niche and like we all share some of the same uh, troubles <laughs> with things like permitting and like construction tricks and things like that. And so I th- people tend to be very open about that um, if you're sort of of like mind, but really a lot of people are not. So there, I don't really find a lot of community with other escape room owners in our own city or like sort of at large. It's It's with individual people who are like, very, very cool and interesting and trying to make interesting work. I, um, my expectation was that we would be playing these rooms and they would be like really like kind of like bubbles or capsules like in my brain as well. But playing so many of them just kind of makes, uh, makes you get a feel of the place in so many different ways. The place where it is like the, the town that we're in and how things connect, where they're coming from, where are these props coming from and so many different ways. I guess we'll talk about that. Right. Like the, all the plastic looms, right? Like they were clearly (laughs) purchased from the same vendor. um, In so many ways. Yeah. Yeah. So it's getting really, really hot in this room, but maybe the one last question I'll, I'll ask before we, before we break is just, um, we've talked a little bit about the bleed, right? Where all these escape rooms are starting to blur together. So I'm really curious, um, at least right now, kind of at the end of the week, um, and maybe actually we'll like check back in with each other in a month and see if we still feel this way. Um, out of all the escape rooms that we've been playing, which really sort of fundamentally stand out for you or that you think you'll be like thinking about after you've gone home? So I think personally, um, if we're going around, the one that I'll be thinking about are the roles created in school, which are mechanical roles that bring out role playing. And what I'd like to add to that or think about a little bit more is if costumes accompany that um, and the rules are still mechanical, could uh, novice groups who don't do five escape rooms a day um, have a lot of fun role playing in an escape room? I'll definitely be thinking about um, the marionette escape room that we did not only because I was stuck and the other two uh, plays with me escaped without me, um, <laughs> but also thematically it was quite a fascinating escape room. Um, I I like that there was like a flip. So you are the puppets is like the... You really become the puppets yeah. in that. Absolutely. And chains too. Yeah. I, I think I'll, think I'll keep thinking about like... A, I didn't feel like I was risking, I was taking any risks until Shenglun grabbed my hand. Yeah, can we um, can we point out why is there this set piece in the corner? Presumably something's gonna jump scare or who out of that, right? This, After he grabbed that hand, I was like, I don't want to risk climbing up on there. That hand might grab my foot. Oh, and Annabelle. Yeah, yeah. can you explain a little bit what happened? This is at Lost and Kale, right? We've yeah. been playing this game called Annabelle, which was quite scary in a few moments, <laughs> and we were all on edge. And Amani, being brave, went over and stuck her hand in a mysterious crate <laughs> and 
wheel shrieked because somebody, a physical, a human being for the first time was interacting with us from the other side. Yeah, you yeah. yeah you were all ignoring me when I was saying here's the here's a, there's a magnet here we should do something here yeah I and was too then, scared to move <laughs> yeah and then Shaglin grabbed me and screamed and then everyone screamed <laughs> so can, can we explain the other group had uh, finished their room and so they had asked uh, the owners if they could come in and kind of mess with us yeah and so this was yeah Shaglin said not us <laughs> he likes he likes doing that yeah um, there were two puzzles. No particular rooms. I there were lots of rooms. Two puzzles stood out to me. One was the the, the two of the dexterity tests. Tests mm. I liked them. Um, it made me feel really good about myself. And the other one was uh, another one that I think made me draw on my like artistic background was uh, the arrows pointing in different directions, so that when you uh. drew the line of the arrow, you revealed some numbers. That was just extremely satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, it's um, I'm always looking for the theatrical moments in these things, like the set pieces, and whether that's like an actual theatrical part of the the narrative, or if it's just like you come around a corner and you get a beautiful sightline to something. Mm-hmm. And there are two moments for that. Um, in Annabelle, the moment the lights go out and the doll disappears, like we were just perfectly positioned, and it felt great to see that happen because it felt like a real horror film moment. Um, mm. And the second one was in Mission Q where we came around the corner and saw this giant Newton's cradle. And we were like, whoa, that just looks amazing, and I cannot wait to get through this fence to play with it. Mm. Um, for me, it was when the in, in Breakout New, um, in Perpetual, when the heist suddenly turned into a sci-fi story. Yeah, right. Um, we opened a trap door on the floor, and Goldie descended down this ladder into like this bright pink and purple room, the color was totally different. The lighting was totally different. And then down inside there was, like, <laughs> a giant tube with a shadow of a person inside. And, like, the potential for story to be greater and, and deeper in that moment it was definitely there. Yeah. But, like, it was totally surprising. And also the type of puzzles we were doing switched to be kind of funny and, like, stuff was popping out. We had to, like, plug it back in really fast and... I loved that so much yeah. too. That was even just the lighting direction. Yeah, it was so nice. We'd gone from some stodgy dude's office into this like bright hot pink sci-fi space lab, and um, yeah, the, the the sort of contrast between those two spaces was so cool. And it was also my my first interaction with a with a trapdoor and a ladder, and mm. that felt so so badass yeah. as well. And I feel like that's that was our first introduction to that artist voice. I too. loved it. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing I'd add is also the um, classroom murder uh, escape room. Not that it was the perfect escape room, but almost even just uh, beyond the roles, the theme that this mm-hmm. more everyday, mundane, persona-esque, high school romance-esque. Uh, I think that's the most straight-up fun that me and Patrick had. Immediately we, when we got into that classroom, we were, like, freaking out, and it was so refreshing. We were, like, Com- giddy. Compared yeah. to the <laughs> yeah. Egypt-themed, sci-fi-themed, spy-themed. Yeah. Uh, and to me, that's like, yes, like, I want to see more escape rooms in but, the settings. But only one space theme, the whole trip. <laughs> that was really, that was really nice. Me and, Al- me and Alex, we just took that book and we just stood to the side and started reading that book. It was yeah. I'm really surprised good. we haven't come across any AI-related uh, escape rooms here, because that was quite common in uh, in Melbourne at some yeah. point. Mm. Mm. Um. Yeah, this is something actually that I've been thinking about a lot, I think, since Classroom Murder, 
which are which is essentially the narrative theming of these escape rooms and you know if if you if you look at things like alternate reality games you find a lot of alternate reality games start to use like conspiracy narratives or narratives that sort of center around paranoia because it's these little bubbles of fiction in the real world and so there's you're never there's always that bleed effect that go that's going on and so what i've been thinking this entire time is like what are the narratives that really work and i think something like classroom murder like you're saying Doug like for me those everyday ordinary rooms that look like rooms that I am familiar with ultimately produced a kind of more immersive yeah. experience. Except for the Dutch right? lady. <laughs> the office. The oh, the Dutch lady. <laughs> yeah, I think one thing that would be really fun in a, like the next uh, podcast session is to really talk about like what uh, genres weren't covered and what would work really well for an escape room. But I think we're basically out of time for tonight we're right? out of time and also i think the the thermometer is about to explode and and Jay have to like grab a cab yeah, we're right? speaking of escape we're yeah. gonna get out of here so you're literally going to escape kl jay and laura it's been so wonderful yeah. playing with you this past week yeah. and yeah, everybody thank you for here joining yeah. us. Uh, and thank you listen yes. <laughs> don't miss the four digit code in the text <laughs> 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 nice. Woo. Nice all right that was awesome thanks for and uh, you all have to like scoot. Every Game in the City is a podcast on the Idle Thumbs Network. We recorded season one in a hot bedroom in Pataling Jaya during the summer of 2018. Our theme music is a cover of Seiko 4 by Yasuaki Shimizu, a piece he originally composed for a wristwatch commercial in the 1980s. You can find us on the web at everygameinthis.city, as well as most social media networks and podcasting platforms. In two weeks, Laura E. Hall will host a long-and-coming reunion episode featuring the full cast, recorded 16 months later. But wait, we're not done yet. Even though Laura and Jay flew out, Shang Lun and Alex were with family, and Chad was catching up with friends in the city, Goldie, Amani, Patrick, Doug and I stayed up late the night before leaving Kuala Lumpur to play one last game together. Yeah, so welcome to uh, the final interlude that we're recording in person here in Kuala Lumpur. It's like midnight on the last day. We're leaving for the airport tomorrow at 6 or 5 or something. But it's told that if you do 50 escape rooms, <laughs> the escape room ferry might leave you something. And, and lo and behold, this morning did. we woke up and there was a board game waiting for us called Exit the Game, The Abandoned Cabin. And five of us played it. Yeah, who, who's here right now? Uh, so. I'm Goldie Bartlett. I'm Stephanie Bullock, and I'm having trouble feeling my consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Douglas Wilson. I'm Amani Nassim. And I'm Patrick Levier. So, some background context. So, this is uh, one of a series of a certain type of a escape room in a box published by Cosmos. Um, I, w- I would say this and um, the Unlock series are two 
kind of recent popular, uh, yeah, again, escape room puzzle sequence in a box. Um, the exit games are destructible. You kind of like cut cards, fold mm-hmm. things, play them once. Uh, whereas, uh, I believe all of the unlock games are, you can put back together. Mm-hmm. And it seems like each series have many games in them where you'd like buy a couple yeah. and maybe, or, you know, use them as gifts or these small one-off things that yep. you could play with family for, and friends. For a while before coming here, I actually had it in my mind that we were going to be playing a lot of these and that these mm. were the Rage in Kuala Lumpur. Oh. Yeah, just really? for, that's, what I, that's what I had in my mind just for a little while and then, mm. you know, that switched. But um, It's funny that you mentioned that, Goldie, because playing this game, I think that um, this experience tonight, like literally on the last night, probably aligns most with what I thought playing escape rooms mm. was going to be like in terms of what the escape rooms were going to do. Mm. These types of puzzles, some of the like fiddly sort of pattern recognition. IQ test. IQ test, puzzle solving. I, I feel like I'd seen versions of this in the American escape rooms that mm-hmm. I played. And all of the ones that we've been doing this past week, it's been really, really different. So this is like the closest that we've come, I think, to what I thought it was going to be. Mm. So we're finally, we finally fulfilled your My dreams expectations of doing. Of, yes. Yeah. So maybe to clarify, like what's in this box? It's a series. Uh, there's like a couple decks. There's a hint deck mm-hmm. that you can um, get like extra hints from, but you get penalized at the end. There's a um, riddle, riddle deck. clue deck. Yeah, where you uh, will get certain puzzles to solve. So some of the IQ puzzles are certain things about the room. And then there's the... Answer deck. Answer deck, yeah, where that's where you're punching in a specific number you come up with. Well, you have a cardboard, this cardboard wheel. or This, this one does. This series of wheels. Yeah, I imagine like other ones in the series still have the same three decks, but like a different mechanism for drawing from them. I, will, I played one before this, and it was the cardboard wheel. No way! So, yeah. It's a nice oh. little system. It's though. just the wheel? Is it always the wheel? It might be, but it I don't know. What? There's uh, 12 symbols around the outer edge, outermost edge of the wheel, which is static, and the puzzles that we were solving were sort of like, okay, now we're doing the circular puzzle, now we're doing the square puzzle. So we're looking to align the three right. inner circles to mm-hmm. match that symbol. Um, every number has a color um, and every circle has, you know, that same whatever. And then, yeah, if you get the code correct, it reveals the a number through a window. If you get the code wrong, it, it somehow reveals a number through a window, which yeah. leads to an answer card, which just says, bah, well, so you, X. Yeah. <laughs> you, the number, like, for example, 16, you would go to, uh, and they're all in order, answer card number 16, and you would turn it over. It's just funny that we... Like the, because some of the answer cards are obviously like correct. Bam, do here's what you do next. Like it's just funny that we obviously they must have play tested it enough to know that the guesses that we were making would be yeah incorrect every time. Mm. Right. So they screen. kind of like if you imagine it as like a answers. set of ROM or something, they like fill up a bunch of the junk ROM with the ROM with these like default yeah. answers. But yeah. I think what's so yeah. funny about this wheel is that its morphology is like identical to a padlock. Right. right. So in the diegesis of the game we were playing, which was, this one is the abandoned cabin. Uh, but it was a series of padlocks on boxes and doors. Correct. So we were just yeah, doing the same. And we like have pictures of padlocks. Yeah. 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 And yeah. I guess when you get the number right, 
uh, it'll go to a card that shows all the different boxes and doors you're trying to open, and then right. it's an index for picking the right one. So you have to have the series of three digits, whether they be colors or numbers, and then the right thing you're trying to do that on. Also it's so the, funny. Yeah. Also in the box we had a booklet, uh, and then on every page there was some kind of like half-finished puzzle or some kind of uh, part of, another, of a larger puzzle. There were some hint cards, which I think we already mentioned, um, three secret, secrety things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the red one, the gray one, and the blue one. Um, those were, um, physical kind of cardboard pop out, uh, pop out that you use in one of the puzzles. Uh, as well as tiny a, holes in it that you would then yeah. use the cardboard to place it in various configurations on pieces of paper yeah. as a kind of decoder. To, re- to reveal the correct numbers. I don't think we should go into like any and a rule book. Specific puzzles yeah. because yeah, you're, there are like a dozen of these, and you could go into a bunch of them. But there were a few that stood out. Well, but can, can I frame it that you're trying to beat this in the fastest time possible? Although you don't, it's not like you set it to an hour and you have to beat it in an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, at least this one, you just time yourself. So we beat it in something like eighty minutes, and with in, no hints. And mm-hmm. and so you can it scores you based on the time and how many hints you took. So we got nine stars out of ten stars. Yeah, we did. Uh, which we're all pretty proud about. I want ten, though. Doug was very concerned about that star-based validation. Right. <laughs> um, we would need we would have needed to beat it in less than sixty minutes with no hints to get ten stars. Yeah, but yeah, as Patrick said, it. I think there are, like so there are a bunch of puzzles that I feel like could be um, transferred to other games, but there yeah. are a couple that stood out, and I think like Stephanie, you solved one of them with like the fake it was bottom, amazing. and Amani, you got the other one with like. The barcode. Maybe we could describe those ones. I think they're worth going through. The barcode one? The the bottom. The one that you solved, like top to bottom. The reason why that was exciting is that I spent I spent fifteen minutes looking at it and then Patrick spent fifteen minutes looking at it. I'm pretty sure Doug and Amani both looked at it. Then Steph took it. I hint. Hint, hint, hint. I don't know, it seems like we haven't spent that much time. Wait, no, like a secret paper is hidden at the bottom of the Game box, like, isn't that? <gasps> oh, Stephanie is a legend, the legend of the game. Can we we've, pull uh, that out? We've pulled out the plastic, the cardboard, like packaging of the box on Stephanie's suggestion, and there's a symbol that says, "Congratulations, you have found the secret paper, thereby solved the F and Q riddle cards." Ah. Oh. And on the back oh, of it is a picture of this another wall. Oh, which wall is triangle. that? Triangle. Immediately yeah. go to triangle. Triangle wardrobe. Blue wardrobe. Doug rushes into action. Trembling hands, Wilson. And not only like was did she get the answer, but the answer was like surprising. It meant that we had to like physically rip apart the remnants of the box. Yeah, like the packaging, yeah. the physical packaging, to find like a fake bottom of the box that yeah. had a game piece in it. It was cool it. as it was cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, can we talk about the second one, which also relates to the box, and then we can zoom out. Yeah. That's so you so it's just an anagram. Yeah. We we just took okay, ages. So so, so what I was the and, answer? And the answer was the barcode outside the box. Bar. I thought that was a smart suggestion. Barcode. The two. Unscramble the letters and look for the barcode. <gasps> oh, wouldn't that be good? It's the uh, Metal Gear thing. Barcode. Very good, Amani. It's the uh, hidden game by my mom thing. Here. Oh. There it is! Oh yeah. my fucking god, that's great, Amani. Yeah, I love you. That's amazing. 
That is crazy. And then we just look. Oh. Which that, one starts that with eight? A lot. Yeah, it's this the right here. So someone, someone read this. Yeah. So Amani, can you well, double well, check? So confirm eight, eight and, and six. six. And so yeah. the number two is a one. Zero, one, nine. nine. That's really mm -hmm. good. Sick. That's fun. <laughs> I like that a lot. That was a good one. Metal Gear. So the anagram was spelled barcode, and then we realized we actually had to match the barcode on the box um, in, the into this series And that series was another of puzzle which took like 20 minutes because well, I, I, put, I inserted a, <laughs> a red herring with brocade. I thought that was what a was, What was written on Doug's page? I remember uh, like Bardos. This, Bardos. this is my notes like going through different combinations that I didn't realize barcode. But what I what, yeah. what we like about those two puzzles is that they're, they like make use of of the form of this packaged box, right? Very cool. Very cool. Very good one. This reminded me as well of the hidden game by my, my mom, hidden, or what? Hidden my game by mom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, famous series. If you haven't played it, of by uh, half games, by half games of puzzles uh, for mobile phones. And there's a spoiler alert. There's a famous puzzle there where actually one of the ads. So this game is serving oh, yeah. you ads. When it turns out one of the solutions is in a fake ad. So this like breaking the the frame of the game itself. And that that you know like Kojima. There's other games that do this, but uh, it made me think like I, I what is that what is that in a physical escape right, room? Right. Yeah. Totally. Um, so I'd like, uh, yeah, it, it made me thirst for that kind of breaking the breaking outside yeah. of the game in the so physical escape room. So you want, you want yeah, an escape room or an escape room in a box game that is nothing but a box. I want the escape room where, like, you have to go to the lobby and do something on the computer yeah. that they're booking you on. Yeah, Cause like, or cause something like, like that. revealing a secret yeah. door or whatever is enough. That's, that's not really what we're talking about here. Yeah, I think this is like the YNAB thing. Um, wait, is that the right acronym? The what? What am I talking about? YNAB. What's the ARG uh, acronym? Um, the This Is Not a Game. This Is Not a Game. It's not a good I don't know what I'm talking about. But yeah, it's the This Is Not a Game aesthetic, where like you move from the diegesis or like the understood mechanics into a game space that is coincident with what you imagine as lived reality. And so that happens when you look at the packaging of a box, but also could happen like outside the boundaries of a specific playground or room. But never really happened on this trip. I thought that when we got this box, we'd be hiding pieces around the house, but Me that's too. just not a part of the mm -hmm. style of game. Oh, well, so th that Patrick totally misunderstood. Uh, he thought that we would get all these things, I would say, in your kitchen, like put yeah. this thing in this cupboard and in the, yeah. in the refrigerator. I was like, ready to like light candles and add this lock to your fridge. But, <laughs> uh, what, like, what? like, that's a great idea. Someone should have a uh, escape room in a box that you actually set up in your house yes. for other people. So that's one, and then somebody should have the escape room in a box where there's no diegesis. It's just a box that you're manipulating. And you, you open up the box and there's nothing inside. There's a pair of scissors. Yeah, right. <laughs> and another box. And everything's inside the, the packaging or outside the packaging of the box. Or maybe you have to cut up the box and put it in. Mm. Yeah. No? No. I'm into it. Fine, you don't have to buy my empty box. <laughs> <laughs> I think I will. I will buy your empty box. <laughs> 
I think YNAB is, you need a book. You're still fucking <laughs> YNAB is the acronym for You Need a Budget, a popular piece of personal finance software. So how do you all think that this kind of board game differs from the things we've been doing this week? Literally, it's indoors at our house. <laughs> to stop. Well, actually, I think that's interesting because the most immediate obvious thing, right, is the like, we're not physically immersed in other space. But I think the dom- domesticity is interesting. Yeah. Like we're in a much more kind of comfortable zone. We, we can just have a drink on the table we've eaten, or whatever. Take out dinner. I mm. think those extra twenty minutes were because we were at home. Yeah, true. True. I think we were doing other things. I was really chill. So you think we actually got ten? Yeah. 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 Ten stars. Right, Wait, so Am- <laughs> uh, Amani expands. So I- you, you can have pee breaks. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, people I use had, the bathroom. Yeah. I was looking at my phone, trying to unlock my apps. So like, uh, and that's, that's not just this, like, we weren't immersed in a real abandoned cabin, but like you were in your own home. You could yeah. do your own home things. Wait, we, we were out in the balcony for a bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it seems, food. maybe, maybe I want to take it like the other way. Like, it seems obvious that this is different from an escape room because of the architectural space and because you're not in a space, but the puzzle flow does seem similar to me, well, at least. It, it feels yeah. similar, but it was like at least three times the amount of puzzles. Surely, ah, uh, I think it's a roughly equivalent. You reckon? What I would point out, and this is this is more about the escape rooms in Kale. Uh, this exit game in particular had some non-linearity to it. So there were a couple times where we could work on two or three puzzles at the same time in a different order. And that was not really true in any of the KO games we played. I'd say that for what it was, um, you know, the, it was essentially a set of cards and some sheets of paper. Um, Despite that, there still was a lot of tactility to Mm -hmm. the, the puzzles um, that, and, and they kind of made use of that despite the, the minimal materials, but I mean, there really is no comparison about the way in which like architecture and mm-hmm. space and mm-hmm. touch are kind of mobilized in, in an escape room. Mm-hmm. And the result, at least with this game, and I can think of other games where this is very different, something like Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, because it essentially offloaded all narrative. It was an extremely thin narrative and most of our time was occupied with puzzle solving. Yeah. Yeah. So it was all about the puzzles and, and then that kind of like thin veneer of, yeah. of a story, which is that you're trapped in a cabin and then you're huzzah, you're, you're out, out of the cabin to be continued. Um, and, and so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. One thing that uh, I think that we lighted on at the very end, like once we got out, it was kind of like a serial thing where like the puzzle master gets away and he'll like mm. trap you again next mm. time, um, which is kind of reminiscent sometimes of the stuff we've been doing at the Breakout franchise where like you'll meet the same magician in Hocus, Hocus. or maybe the same puppet master from uh, Oswald, the Oswald gets away. And, Boba uh, seems to pop up all the time. Yeah, but Bobo or Boo Boo, yeah. Uh, but we had this but idea, this... or we were kind of chatting, like, how do you make that meaningful? Because in this game, it's literally just a sentence that says, see you next time. Well, this is this is a challenge for both the physical escape rooms, but also 
the escape rooms in a box, like exit. Mm-hmm. I would personally love to see more of that kind of sequential tying the games together, yeah. whether that's narratively or meta narratively, to have a more coherent experience. Maybe you could even unravel a full like story throughout right. a series of boxes. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I was thinking like, what if you get a clue, like a card, at the end of this that says this is something you can use next, next time you meet the puzzle master, yeah, and it's like a part of. To short circuit the next puzzle, but now keep running with that. Yeah. Like, like, what if it's different escape room parlors in the city? That's where, like, you find at. one. Yeah, okay. so find clue to another, or yeah. like, so like you it's finish like an escape room. Where yeah. NX crossover? Yeah. What is the Kingdom Hearts of yeah. escape rooms? <laughs> yeah. So imagine this, like in the Breakout franchise, if you finish Ho- Chamber of Hocus in less than forty-five minutes, the attendant at the end says, "Yeah, he got away, but keep this." key and it's like an iron key that says hocus on it and if you go to secret of hocus at the other place there's like a slot in one of the walls that's literally unsolvable for anyone else but if you have the key you can pop it and it's pure narrative inside there like something for somebody who would but even better imagine that you go to code factory and it turns out (laughs) that like bradley in classroom murder grows up to be a hocus no no, like like, like, i mean like parlor Parlor crossover would be truly surprising, and I wonder if that's a way. A kind of, yeah. We lived in a communist state. Well, no, but like collaborative in yeah. indie game studios often kind of work together. Yeah, sure. this happens on yeah when they do um, like a lot gone. of arg like uh, collaborations between indie game studios, whether it be for kind of frog fractions type things or for uh, like the potato sack discount deal on Steam or Gone Home being in the Bioshock universe. Yeah. It does this other thing, though, uh, getting back to, like, alternate reality games or arcs, where then you don't know, like, when exactly. the game ends in yeah. this escape room. So suddenly, Kuala Lumpur mm-hmm. is this mesh. And what if that yeah. key doesn't work at Chamber Focus, but that key has a street corner and a time on it and a date, and you meet Hocus there. Escape yeah. room out of the escape room. Right. Whoa. This, this actually... <laughs> I feel like this sort of connects to some of the things that we were saying about the excitement surrounding the, the like, barcode reveal or mm. the, exactly. the Kojima-style box yep. moments yep. when, you know, you realize that it's not like the cards, but it's what you thought was extra diegetic yep. that was not part of the story i mean you're taking it from you know the the kind of box itself exactly to you know like an even much larger yep. sort of metaverse moment um it's just it's just escape room boxes all the way down yeah and this this wouldn't necessarily be just like a waste of time and energy this i think could work for advertising reasons mm-hmm. it could work for uh, like hardcore fans who want to do the rooms over and over again. There are lots of reasons to do these kinds of crossovers. Yeah. It could also just like be cool to work with other people in your field within yeah. the same city, which it's, I'm not sure how much that happens. It's, a, it's like an escape room box that starts in a Metal Gear game and you have to like <laughs> Solid Snake has to get in the box and then you realize oh, that no. it's like a, a portal to no. exit. No. <laughs> no, I'm not following you down that rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so something to think about, I think, this, like, upper, or, like, this in-between layer, these infra-escape rooms. Exactly. Um, infra. Yeah, it could be really cool. Like, when infra. are you, when have you actually escaped? Dun, dun, dun. What I'm getting here is that you don't want to escape. Maybe that's it, yeah. You just want Infinite to be escape. contained within a larger escape 
No, I don't think it's about containment. I think it's like opening Pandora's box, like allowing these escape rooms to do more outside of their, like the confines of their architecture. Yeah, for for me, and I'm speaking as as someone who uh, produced a PlayStation 4 game called Sports Friends, where a number of different indie game designers got together to make one package. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's not being like, I want to be immersed in the fantasy of everything's an escape room, but rather like what happens when different creative minds actually come together in interesting ways uh, and try to help support each other's businesses through cross promotion and interesting design. So that's, right. that's, 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 it's more about that to me than it is like some immersive fiction of like, Ooh, we, could, we could be in a game now. Sorry. I never played it. Get in the box. <laughs> I, I never played it. I don't know much about it. Um, I used to work in a shop in East Melbourne, um, and one day a bloke from Melbourne called Ben McKenzie said, hey, Goldie, I'm organizing this sort of like treasure hunt escape room thing in the suburb of East Melbourne. Can I hide a clue in your shop? Hmm. And I asked my boss, and they said, yep. So all night, all evening at work, we had players running in and looked like asking me about a clue, and right. I sort of said, ooh, really- if you do this or do that. And it might have been, I don't remember what festival it was a part of, but um, that I might ask him a bit more about what he was doing there. Um, it seems to be a, a suburb-wide mm-hmm. sort of puzzle. Yeah, I think this is the key. Like, it's not simply about a narrative that expands, and it's not simply about the experience of diehard fans, but it's about, like, the history and the specificity of that place, yes. those businesses, how the money works, yep. when it was happening, why it happened in 2014 or 2015 or 2016 or now, 2018. Yep. And it's those intersections that actually express that history, whereas the yep. escape rooms on their own are meant to be repeatable, are meant to be played the exactly. same in 20. 16 as they are today maybe maybe this is like the the thing that we that that we're kind of articulating is that um something like a podcast like this that interweaves in between a bunch of escape rooms does some of that historical work of building a connection i mean it's not the same as designers getting together and thinking about connecting but it is something where we have a strand now between all these escape rooms and a discussion that happens between them. Yeah, and it's not, I think that, I think the key is that this is not a podcast that is about all escape rooms and it's not a podcast that's about, um, like the answer or something. It's a podcast that expresses a specific week with a specific set of people in a specific place doing a specific thing. And that's fine. Like that is what we're looking for here is like an experience that is, an articulation of that specificity um, between these types of games. Yes. Yeah. So that's what play does. Like that's what a group of players do. I think Um, whether you're like a group of friends in KL hanging out or you're like a group of people who met um, in a bunch of different countries and then came together to do this. I mean, I think that's what play does. We've Um, we've just really pushed that escape room meta mm-hmm. to the next level. Yeah, I think so, honestly. Like, can we say uh, that at least? I mean, I feel that way. Yeah, I just, I'm, I think we're getting to something that is actually, well, I care deeply about yeah, it. And I think it's talking. true for, like, what our voices on this recording do. Like, the work that we're actually doing is this meta escape yep. thing. Um. I don't know what to do with that yet. Well, that's great. That, I thought that was yeah. that, I thought that was the clearest for me articulation of why the method matters because it yeah. is it is subtle. Like we started the whole 
podcast series with this list of what this isn't, which you just did, but yeah. then flipping that into uh, why specificity matters, why that is generative. So I, I said facetiously that we're, you know, pushing the escape room meta to the next level, but, you know, in many ways I think that that's actually yep. true. Yep. And the question remains, well, now that we've done that, what do we, like, what do we do what with this? Do? Or what, yeah. yeah, what's to be done? Um, what, like, are there larger takeaways or is there... Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. <laughs> yeah, no, I think this is a really hard question to answer. And I get the sense that for different people in the podcast, they have different answers. So yeah. maybe designers have one way to push it. Maybe researchers have another way. Um, maybe the group as a whole has like a third way. I, I don't know the answer really for myself. Um, doing it again would be great. But I also wonder, like, what comes of this? Like, what do we do with the knowledge that maybe is more... Um, maybe it's just history taking. Maybe. Or also, you know, um, putting aside that kind of uh, desire for the sequel or serialization, what about just thinking about the ephemerality of play, yeah. right? Of this being, like, one moment in time. Hmm. Like tears mm. in the rain. <laughs> Sorry. It's gone. Yeah. I apologize. But, you know, the, the sort of the absolute uniqueness um, and that, you know, for us, I think this was something special, but every time you play, something special is happening. Yep. Yeah. You know yeah, what? I think that's No really matter true. where you are or who you're with. There's yep. so many things that could come out the other side of this. Like, I imagine that the next time I'm invited to play an escape room or the next time I invite others to play an escape room, my experience is just going to be completely freaking different. And I think, yeah, yeah. And I think for me also, um, taking play really seriously or taking the escape rooms really seriously. Cause when I, the, the times that I did it, uh, that I played escape rooms in, in the United States, I was doing it for fun. And, and, you know, I, I don't think I was particularly, overly invested in mm -hmm. the process of, of playing that, of playing these games. But I think what I've kind of learned this week is that the most interesting things happen when you just sort of be present as yep. much as you can yep. to the moment that you're in and, and go all in. Right. I yeah. think it was just the going all inness that was what was so exciting yep. to me about this particular method that yep. we've been doing. Yep. Players do this all the time, right? Like, I think that's something that could actually be a takeaway of this podcast for listeners is that like, if you want to do something like this, or if you want to play this way, you can, it's a specific attitude towards yeah. playing, sure. but, and maybe you need specific people and it's not going to have the same results, but the, um, uh, the kind of philosophy, I guess, of, of this sort of play is something that could be repeated. Um, with different people in different places and different things and you don't, different games. You, you don't need to fly to KL. You right. could no. play every Minecraft mod <laughs> right. with well, your friends. Right, I was just going to say, yeah. I mean, there's so many groups of people, 10 plus, who play the same game every night for yeah. years and years and years. Yeah. Is this a condensed, weird, smudgy version of that? We just basically ate and laid as <laughs> and slept. It's true. That's it. <laughs> but you you could spend a summer week with your friends. I okay, maybe you can't, but maybe some people could. Uh, 
or maybe it's not the full week, but maybe it's the month. Like, all right, every evening this month, we're going to play a new Minecraft mod. And we're, and somehow, whether it's a podcast or a Twitch stream or a blog or a something, you unpack that. And as Stephanie said, taking that seriously is really generative and really personally rewarding. It was yeah. just really intense to do it this week. Yeah. I mean, I think if it's a, if it's a, no. If it's a D&D campaign or if it's a local softball league or if it's, uh, you know, a speed running get together. Like, I think if there's one thing generalizable about this experience is that it's that play actually matters. And when you're playing, something's happening. Yeah. And if you have a group that's focused diligently on that, um, amazing things happen. It's and. It's that method, I guess, that's the generalizable part of what's going on here. Not the escape rooms and not the Kuala Lumpur and not our specific voices even, but the way we play together. Mm -hmm. And that's what this, that's what every game in the city is about. Yep. Yeah. uh, That's why I want to do it again and again and again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're kind of sad to be going home tomorrow. It's been such an interesting time. Well, yeah. and can I say we voluntarily subjected ourselves to another <laughs> hey, series of puzzles. This afternoon, there was conversation floating around saying, oh, maybe we could, maybe we could fit another one in. Yeah. Maybe we could do that right now. Can I, can I say, <laughs> the thing I'm actually hungry for is not to do escape rooms in KL, but is now to just get on a plane tomorrow. And you know what? Like, cancel your flights. We're, <laughs> we're all going to... Uh, Paris tomorrow <laughs> and we're going to play every single escape room in Paris and yeah. that's really exciting because then you could do the juxtaposition so I like I, oh. I wish we had scheduled uh, yeah in, in no world would this have been feasible but like do the a immediate tour. next city yeah. Yeah. so keep your ears wow. out for season two of every game in the city two square every game in that city every game in the next it city might not be, it might not be escape rooms yeah. it might not be a city might be a lift. Every game. <laughs> every game well, in this lift. Every game in this lift. <laughs> every game in this forest. Yeah. Every game in this uh, state. It yeah. might not. It might not be games. Every. Oh boy. Every hike in this national park. Every option in front of us. Anyway. Procedurally generated podcasts. The, the, the word every will factor into it. So <laughs> that that, 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 that is <laughs> so Yeah, the eloquence is, as you can tell, it's off the charts tonight. We're just nailing it's this. It's sad to take off. Yeah, why now? <laughs>